All right, we're in a series called The Book of, or The Acts of the Spirit, and it's from the Book of Acts, and it's written by this guy named Luke. Luke just happened to write another book in the Bible called The Gospel of Luke. Now, one of the interesting things about Luke and these two Gospels, or these two letters that he wrote, is you could almost consider them a two-volume set. Volume 1 being the story of Jesus and Jesus' time here on earth. Story 2 could be, would be the Acts, and this would be the story of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit worked through the disciples and the followers of Jesus as they went forward. So here's the theme verse, just a reminder, our theme verse for uh, this letter of Acts. And it comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Luke writes this, But you will receive, this is what Jesus said, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Acts, the letter of Acts, is all about the Holy Spirit empowering his followers to be witnesses and this gospel spreading from, starting in Jerusalem, but then in spreading from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, which for them would be almost considered Rome. So getting to Rome. And this book begins and ends with this picture of what is important, and that is the proclamation of the kingdom of God. In Acts 1, verse 3, we see Luke writes that he, Jesus, appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So if Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples between his resurrection and his ascension talking about the kingdom of God, it might be an important thing, right? Yes. Good answer. We go all the way to the end of the book of Acts, the very last verse, and it says this, he, Paul, now we're talking about Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. By this time, Paul's in Rome. He's uh, in prison or he's in being guarded. And there he is. And what is he doing? He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and he's teaching them all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's doing it with boldness. And so as we go through Acts, there are three themes that we're going to be noticing as we walk through these. And I brought these up at the very first message, but I just wanted to bring them back again. Here's the three important themes. One, that Jesus is the Messiah. Two, that repentance and forgiveness be proclaimed. And three, that there's power from on high, the Holy Spirit, so that we can do what God has called us to do. So, for the early church, for the Jewish followers of Jesus, this is an important thing. Jesus is the Messiah. And a part of the message we don't speak so much about here today in the West is that repentance and forgiveness must be proclaimed. And uh, it's important for us, and that's why we're going through this, to know that without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, uh, it's not going to happen. So today we're going to look at the end of chapter 2 of Acts. And we're going to start with verse 36. And so here we go. Verse 36. 
Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, oh, this sounds familiar, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You should be doing signs now while I'm reading this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's my favorite sentence in the Bible, I think, right there. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? Often, I pray for that. He says, Father, wouldn't it be so cool if that was happening here at Crossroads Church? I mean, right now, I take weekly. I would take weekly that there was to be somebody being saved through you and us, the people of Crossroads Church. Hmm. So what was happening? There was a lot there. So what are some of the main things that I, w that I want to point out that was happening here? Well, we see that as a result of the preaching of the gospel, 3,000 souls were added to their number. People accepted the message, repented, and were baptized. We also see, like in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe because of the wonders and the signs that were being performed by the apostles. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Generosity had taken over. They were selling their possessions. Those who had extra were selling their possessions to give and help those in need. They continued to meet both in the temple courts and in their homes. And they broke bread together, meaning they shared meals together. And as I already said, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. This is amazing. And it's a result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the lives of the followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit had empowered Peter and the other apostles and was fulfilling the prophecy which Chris looked at last week and this announcement of Jesus at his, and his resurrection. 
Now, Peter's message, it's a long message, but it can really be summarized with verse 36 here in chapter 2. And that's this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Do you want to know why the people were cut to the heart? Well, they were cut to the heart because these are Jewish people. They had been waiting their whole life for the Messiah. From the time they were little, they were told the stories of the Israelites. They were told the stories of King David and King Solomon. They were told the stories of these amazing prophets. And they were told that someday the Messiah would come, and he would come in the order of King David. They, at that time, were on the, under the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. And they were waiting. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and destroy the Roman Empire and raise up Israel once again to be this mighty kingdom. Their only escape that they saw was the Messiah. And Peter tells them, Huh. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Talk about being cut to the heart. But there's good news. And that good news is that God raised this Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God the Father. And there's more good news, and that is that this Jesus who God raised from the dead is Lord and Messiah. Lord being the Greek word kurios, which talks about supremacy or master, or owner, or possessor, or sovereign, king, emperor. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made king. God has made sovereign over everything. That is good news. Yes, it's good news. Also, the second part of that good news is that God made him Messiah, Greek word Christos, where we get Christ, Son of God, or Anointed One. So this Jesus bore these Jewish people who had been waiting their whole life for the Messiah to come. This Jesus is that Messiah, and He has come. Yes, He was crucified, but God raised Him from the dead, and now He is going to lead them into freedom, and they were cut to the and it's out of this that they asked Peter and the apostles what do we do and Peter and the apostles says repent be baptized and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit hmm So what happened next? Well, that's where we get to verse 42 and on in our passage. So what happened next is that they became devoted. Devoted, or like I have declared before, I love this definition of devoted, persistently obstinate. Do you have any children that have ever been obstinate? Okay? 
That's a negative way, yes, but this is the positive view. These people who were cut to the heart, looking for the Messiah, now realizing the Messiah is here, became persistently obstinate about a few things. And we know these things because we've been memorizing them. First one, apostles' teaching, or God's Word. Initially, it was the apostles' teaching because they were the ones that were with Jesus. They were the ones that saw Jesus, were equipped by Jesus, were discipled by Jesus. Now they are teaching the people, these new followers, the way of Jesus. This provided credibility to their ministry and their message because they were followers. They had been with Jesus for these three years. They were one of the twelve, and so it was out of the apostles' teaching. This was important for them, for this church to get going. It had to be the teaching of the apostles. For us today, it becomes God's Word. If we're going to be persistently obstinate about something, let's be persistently obstinate about teaching God's Word. They were also persistently obstinate about the fellowship, or in the Greek, it's koinonia, which really means harmony or having a shared purpose or community. And when we read verses 44 through 45, that's where we see this shared community happening, this fellowship. This fellowship, it wasn't just sitting down and having some great chili next week and talking about what are we going to do now that the football season is over, we don't have anything to talk about. No, this fellowship, this community was about, hey, we're in this together. We are moving towards Jesus together. We're going to be persistently obstinate about being together. That means, if I see you have a need, I'm going to do whatever I can to meet your need. If I see you're struggling with something, I'm going to do whatever I can to come alongside you and struggle with you. The third thing that we're supposed to be persistently obstinate about is the breaking of the bread. And yes, this is communion and doing this often in remembrance of me. But in the early church, communion was a part of the meal. So actually breaking the bread was about more than communion. It's about we're, we're going to sit down at a table together often and eat. There's good stuff that happens around the table when people are eating food together. There's good fellowship that can happen. There's good conversation. And the way the early church would do it is in the midst of them sitting down and sharing the meal, then they would remember, hey, why are we gathering in this community? Oh yeah, Jesus. And then somebody would take the bread and break it and said... Hey, this is what the apostles taught us. They taught us that at the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is my body which is given to you. Take and eat all of it. Let us share this bread and pass it around in remembrance of Jesus, the Lord, our Messiah. And then let's take the cup. They poured the cup and they passed that around. This, 
This is the new covenant. Yeah, we grew up in the old covenant. The old covenant was a good thing, but now we're in the new covenant, and it's in the blood of Jesus. So we're going to be persistently obstinate about remembering why we are gathering together. And the reason why we are gathering together is because of Jesus. The fourth thing is prayer. This is both individual and corporate. We read in our text today that they were both in the homes and they often went to the temple to pray. But prayer was important. The apostles learned that from Jesus because Jesus often withdrew and prayed. So what do you think the apostles taught the new 3,000 followers on that day? Oh, we need to get together and we need to often withdraw and pray. It's, it's just what followers of Jesus do. This is, in essence, how Jesus did it with his disciples. He taught them by being in community with them. They were in fellowship together all the time. He taught them by breaking bread and by teaching them through prayer and eating with them. He, Jesus was persistently obstinate about these things. And so the disciples became persistently obstinate about these things. And there's more. As we see in our text, they were in awe of the many wonders and signs that were being performed by the apostles. Again, where did the apostles learn this? Jesus. They were in awe of Jesus, when they were hanging around Jesus, doing wonders and signs and healing people. So for the apostles, part of proclaiming the kingdom of God is just wonders and signs and, and healing. They're, it's just part of the deal. It's just what they did. And so the apostles, under the power of the Holy Spirit, did wonders and signs and healed. And, but that, that's not it. Um, I mentioned it already, but the generosity thing. Um, back in the first century... Uh, one of the commentators I read talks about some research they did, and they figure about 15% of the people in the first century were considered expendable. They were lame, beggars, widows without families, orphans. The rest of society didn't matter whether they were around or not. 70% of the society were probably peasants, <coughs> excuse me, who were farmers or were part of some trade that involved the agrarian um, uh, culture, that agricultural culture that they lived in, that farming culture. And so 
these people were drawn to the church, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the peasants, because the church cared for each other. The church loved them and cared for them. Again, where did the apostles and disciples learn this? Jesus. Because Jesus hung out with the expendables. In fact, that's what Jesus taught. And you go to Luke 12, and, and Jesus tells his disciples then, sell your possessions and give to the poor. This is how you store up treasures in heaven. Those are Jesus' words. You can read them later in Luke chapter 12. You want to store up treasures in heaven, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Luke 14, Jesus said in another place, Luke 14, Jesus tells his disciples, if you don't give up everything, you can't be my disciple. That's some hard wording right there, right? If you're not willing to give up everything, then you really can't be a disciple of Jesus. All of this was done in community. None of this was meant to happen by one person. It's not about me, me being personally, okay, I gotta, I'm going to be persistent. I'm, I'm going I'm to study God's Word. I'm going to fellowship with myself. I'm going to break bread with myself. And I'm going to pray by myself. No, 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 that's not what it's about. What it's meant to be is we together are going to be in God's Word. Yeah, there's, there's time for me to do it on my own, absolutely. But we, we need to be in it together. As we were talking in the prayer room this morning, by the way, you can join us for prayer at 8 a.m., little sidebar announcement right there. We were talking about how important community is because as, as we've talked in, in the past, you know, God gives us a, a path to go on and sin is missing the mark. And if you even off one degree, as you continue one degree off, that's a long way off. We need to be in community to help us get back. I need you to help me see if I'm off track a little bit. You need others to help you. So all of this is done in community. As we wrap up today, there's three takeaways I want you um, to take home with you today. Uh, The first thing is this. Um, Repent and be baptized. This is an important thing. It's important that we understand what repent and be baptized mean it's it's a bigger deal than what we we present yes we are saved by grace through faith and it's not any any of our works but um, repentance is part of salvation what did peter tell them those who were wanted to accept the message he didn't say well pray this prayer and ask jesus into your heart no he said repent and be baptized In verse 40 of Acts 2, 
Peter warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. That's repentance. So Peter did say, repent and be baptized, but he also said, hey, 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 hear this. Please, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Repent, turn to Jesus and follow him. Drop everything and follow him. When I was growing up in the 70s and even in my early ministry years into the 80s, which, wow, seems like a long time now. <clears throat> um, <laughs> sorry, I got off track there. Um, we, it was all about getting people to pray a prayer. If we got people to pray a prayer, then we did our job. And we got a mark on what the kingdom of God on. That's, that's why we are partly where we are today. is because we got a bunch of people who have prayed the prayer but have never repented. So we have to include in our message, even to the world, when they are cut to the heart and they want to know, what do I do? We need to include in that, you need to repent. And what is repenting? Repenting is turning back to Jesus. It means whatever your other allegiances are, you need to give those allegiances up and follow Jesus. Peter continues this message that he talked about repentance in his letter in 1 Peter 1. He says this, Therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Again, pointing to Jesus, that's our hope. When, he, when He's coming, our hope is when He comes again. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written... Be holy because I am holy. So the, the point being here is that Peter calls us to holiness. Holiness is about being set apart. It's, it's less about being perfect. And it's more about realizing that I need to live my life in a way that is set apart from the world. And this is just another way for Peter to say, repent... Save yourself from this generation, this culture, this world. Re repent. Just as He, God, who called you, is holy, you be holy. Ken Fish, in his book, On the Road with the Holy Spirit, he talks about... Um, um, you know, that we all desire to see signs and wonders and healing. We all desire that. We all want to be in awe. But in my words, in what he's saying, is we're not willing to be persistently obstinate about a few things. And for Ken Fish, one of the things that he would say we need to be persistently obstinate about is holiness. 
fact, he says this, holiness is an internal matter that flows out of our union with Jesus, but is not just a concept. It must practically flow out into our lives. Holiness is what happens when we live a lifestyle of confession and repentance. We, we, again, it's not about being perfect. It's about, I, I want to be with Jesus because I want to be like Jesus because I want to do what Jesus does. But in order to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, do what He does, I need to repent. I need to confess of the times that I get off and I'm no longer following Him. Later on, Ken Fish says this, Holiness is primarily about union with God in Christ and sharing in Christ's holiness. It is secondarily about living life as God requires. Out of these two, service to God and to others will naturally and abundantly flow. And he goes on to say, holding, out of this, if we're focused on our union with God and being holy and living our life the way God desires us to live, out of this, then we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve God the way He wants us to serve, and it will flow abundantly. Now, what has happened in the past with holiness is the Pentecostals, it became a legalistic moralism. And the pushback by the evangelicals basically was lawlessness. It's somewhere in here, and it's about our relationship with the Lord. I have this theory about the, <clears throat> the way legalism came into the church when I was growing up. Because, you know, I grew up, you know, you don't dance, you don't drink, you don't play cards, and you definitely don't go out with any girls that do any of those things. But it was just said, by the time you got to my generation in the 60s and the 70s, it was just, you don't do those. Those are sin. Those are wrong. If you do them, you're really bad. But I think why, why we got here is back in the early 1900s, there was this great awakening when the, when the Spirit of God was moving and people were so desiring to be in awe of God and flowing in the Holy Spirit that they didn't want anything to get in the way of the Holy Spirit. So they began to live a life that was wholly set apart. And so they began to see that maybe dancing is impacting, you know, it, it, it's not bad dancing, but maybe the, the music I listen to, the music I dance to, maybe that pulls me away from, it just gets me off a little bit off of what God desires. Maybe the movies that I'm watching are also pulling me off a little bit. So they're like, I, I'm not doing any of that stuff because I don't want to hinder my relationship with the Lord. Then they have kids and they tell their kids, hey, don't do this stuff because it hinders your relationship with the Lord. And then their kids have kids, and, and those kids tell their kids, don't do this stuff. And then it gets to the next generation is, yeah, you're really bad if you do this stuff. And it's no longer about my relationship with the Lord. It's no, about, no longer about me living my life in a way that is holy, that is set apart. It's all about following rules. And of course, the pushback is, you know, uh, the non-Pentecostals came out and, and it's all about, I can dance, I can play cards, I can do whatever. 
I got grace on my side. And the push went the other way. The second takeaway I, I want for today is that we need to be in community. This is so important. Um, again, as I said earlier, we're not to, be, to do this alone. Peter says this in his letter. He says in, in uh, 1 Peter 1, 22, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love, um, so that, excuse me, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. In other words, now that you have chosen to be holy because the Lord is holy, to live your life in a way that brings glory and honor to God, to, you realize that Jesus is your king and you want to serve him. Now that you've done that, and you have a sincere love for each other, now love each other really well and really deeply. Really, really care for each other. Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the, the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, be in community. Some social scientists have done some research, and uh, there's this thing called the Dunbar Principle. And I'm going to put this up on the screen and these are different quantities and sizes of groups. So five, if, if you are in a relationship with five people, they're probably loved ones. You get to 15, they're good friends, 50 friends, 150 meaningful contacts, 500 acquaintances, 1,500 people you recognize, or for me, probably not recognize, but that's a whole other thing. But, but the five are loved ones or, or people that you live with, people that no matter what happens, you're going to be in relationship with. Fifteen good friends. Um, this is everyone that you are in close relationship one, with. In other words, you know just about everything in these 15 people. That could be 10 to 15, okay? For some, you maybe have more, more bandwidth. You could get to 17, 18. You know, for me, it's probably like about eight or nine. Um, Fifty, then, th those are friends. They're close relationships, but they, they really have a hard time gathering together. And so uh, there are some people that you know really well, and there's some that you kind of know. There's some that are just, you know, just people you know. Um, and usually, um, you, you know them, but not fully. 150 these are meaningful contacts or stable relationships, shared core beliefs, shared core values. It's the people you see on Sunday morning, usually within that 150 small groups form. And then, of course, you have 500 acquaintances. You may know their name, but that's about it. And, of course, 1,500 people you may be recognized. Like I said, when I was on staff at Church of the Open Door, um, at that time, Church of the Open Door was like 2,500 people, and it was so funny because I would meet one person, I'd talk, and something would pop up, and I'd say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And, -so? and they go, no. And the funny thing is, they both had been tending the church for like 15 years, and they had never met. 
Okay? So, the reason why I bring this up is that research shows that it's in the first two groups um, where life change happens in those relationships. Transformation happens when you are in community with 15 or less. So now if you don't have if you're not, if you don't have relationships in either the first two columns, um, you're probably isolated and you're doing your own thing. It, it's okay, but you're not going to experience transformation. You're not. You and I both need community. The last thing I just want you to take home is to be persistently obstinate. I like that so much better than devoted. Devoted gets a little washed for me. This persistently obstinate just sticks out. It, and this is not a magic formula. This isn't the type of thing where if I do those things that they did in the, and, I was, and I'm persistently obstinate, obstinate, all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to be doing signs and wonders. That's not what it's about. It's about our desire to be with Jesus so we can be like Jesus, so we can do what he does. It's first and foremost, be with Jesus. Be persistently obstinate because you want to get to know your Lord and Savior in a personal way. Make your relationship Jesus your focus because when you become, when you develop this personal, intimate relationship with the Lord, all of a sudden, you're just naturally going to love those around you with that deep love that I talked about earlier. It, it's just going to happen. And then you're going to begin loving the poor, the expendables, because God's going to reveal his heart for those expendables. And then all of a sudden, you're going to want to go out and you're going to want to love them well. And then what's going to happen is one of them is going to be hurting in some way, maybe have some kind of injury or something, and you're going to just go, hey, can I pray for you? And you're going to pray for them, and God's going to give you the gift of healing, and you're going to see a healing happen. And then what's going to happen is that healing happens, it's going to open a door for you to talk about Jesus. They, those people out there, they're searching for something just like the Jews were searching for a Messiah. They don't know what it is fully. But God will empower us with His Holy Spirit to help them see Him. So, hmm, repent and be baptized. By the way, if you haven't been baptized yet, the last Sunday in April we're going to do a baptism. Um, and so if you want to be baptized, you can reach out to me um, or um, the office here, and we'll get that lined up. But um, as we sing this last song, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything in your life that you need to repent of. Is there anything that you need to let go of? Is there anything that's keeping you from, that, that is causing you to miss the mark? Is there anything that, 
Jesus wants you to give to him so you can live a life that is holy because he is holy. And then are, are you in community? If you're not, what's one thing you can do? How can you reach out to find community? Part of that is you can call the office. We, we would love to help you figure that out. And what is, last thing is, what is one spiritual discipline that maybe you could become persistently obstinate about to grow in your relationship with the Lord. Maybe it is God's Word. Maybe it is, I'm going to start inviting people over to my house for dinner once a week. And I'm going to be persistently obstinate and about fellowship and breaking bread with others. Because maybe there's some others here who don't have community and they're just waiting for somebody to invite them over for dinner. Father God, we desire to be in awe of what you are doing. We desire to see you adding people to our body daily, those who are being saved. Father, we we ask that you would continue to give us boldness to proclaim you to the world around us. And then we ask that you, Father, would stretch forth your hand and that you would do wonders and signs and heal people to open the door for us to proclaim Jesus to them. Father, we can't do any of this without being empowered by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.